Good morning, good afternoon, good evening. Welcome everybody. Episode 10 of Push Dose EMS uh, brought to you by Milwaukee County Office of Emergency Management. Once again, I am your host this month, Jeff Matcha, Education and QA Manager with Milwaukee County. Uh, joining me today is not the usual crew that we have. Uh, we've had the opportunity to bring in a couple special guest speakers, uh, which we will introduce as we get to them, as we uh, go through our uh, podcast today. However, one of our regulars um, and system medical director, Dr. Ben Weston, is here with us today um, and will surely be giving us some county updates. Did just want to say uh, thanks to everybody that's been listening to the podcast going forward. Uh, your feedback and thoughts are always welcome here at the county. Uh, so anytime you want to share uh, or have suggestions for future podcasts, we are welcome we welcome any input that you have. Uh, we're going to continue and hopefully kind of start wrapping up our theme that we've had lately on mental health uh, with a look at uh, what's going on here around the county. Uh, but to get into our system updates, I'm messing with him with, with his mute button on and off, but uh, Dr. Weston, I will send it over your way as you're ready here. All right. Thanks, Jeff. Hello, everybody. All right. So we're going to go through a few system updates, uh, and we would be remiss not to start with a COVID update. So uh, when we look at COVID in our community, uh, there's a few key numbers. So we are seeing a decline in the overall raw number of cases, but it's important to remember that's in the setting of a decline in the overall amount of testing. And so when we test less, we will find less cases. The concerning number that we're seeing is an uptick, uh, a new uptick in our percent positivity. And so when you have uh, testing and cases kind of both doing the same thing, going in the same direction, uh, it's hard to interpret. And that's why we look at that percent positivity. So it's a concerning number. Uh, it's concerning that it's increasing. It suggests that uh, we're, we're seeing um, an increased burden of disease in our community, similar to what we did a few weeks ago, uh, but it's being masked by not enough folks getting tested. So we're trying to get the message out there. Uh, you need to get tested. And for all our providers, you need to get tested. If you have any symptoms of COVID-19 that can be as minor as uh, a stuffy nose and a sore throat, uh, and, and it can involve GI symptoms, it can be vomiting, diarrhea, um, it can be you know body aches, fevers, all these different symptoms can be COVID-19. If you have any of those symptoms, you need to get tested. If you've had close contact with someone who tested positive for COVID-19, uh, if you've been referred by a healthcare provider, a public health agency, or if you have otherwise elevated concern for COVID, we really want you to get tested. We're trying to make it as easy as possible. Uh, and that's why we've opened up a new, a new site. Uh, we fought hard for this site. We've pushed for it. Uh, and that's the uh, COVID-19 uh, EMS specific. It's the OEM EMS system for Milwaukee County outbreak testing site. This is out by the airport. Uh, it's open Monday, Wednesday, and Friday from nine to noon. This is just for our EMS providers. You don't have to wait in line. Uh, it's a quick turnaround of testing, about 24 hours. So please, uh, if you meet any of those indications, please come on out, uh, get tested. Uh, it's, uh, it's an easy process. Uh, everybody's asking about vaccination. Uh, it is on the horizon. Uh, it's something to look forward to. Um, we are, are getting a cross-collaborative group together. Uh, it's going to involve uh, OEM folks, it's going to involve uh, myself, it's going to involve other medical directors, it's going to involve some of your chiefs. Uh, everybody's working together. Uh, we're fighting hard to get EMS providers uh, to be in that 1A category to be top priority for uh, the vaccine as well. So there's going to be more to come on that. Uh, we're hopeful the first doses are going to start coming uh, in the next few weeks. So 
certainly more information to come there. Uh, the last thing I want to touch on is uh, mental health. This is one of the uh, crises within a crisis, if you will, uh, during this pandemic. We focus a lot on COVID numbers. We focus on cases uh, and hospitalizations. And of course, we focus on deaths. Um, but, uh, you know, uh, along with all those numbers, um, there's pretty profound mental health effects um, that COVID has had. We see it in our patients, and I'm sure uh, we see it in ourselves uh, as well through the isolation, through the change in lifestyle, through the stress that happens when everybody is shut in at home for such a long period. Um, so we see it in our, our call volumes. Um, and uh, I'm going to hand it off to uh, a special guest uh, that we have today uh, that I'm honored to be able to introduce. We have our, our county executive from Milwaukee County, uh, David Crowley, is joining us. Uh, county Executive Crowley has been uh, engaged. He's been involved. He's been supportive uh, in, our, in our EMS system, uh, in our safety of providers, uh, in our patient care, uh, and in our community engagement. So uh, I'm uh, very excited to introduce him uh, and uh, pleased to have him here. So I will hand it off to County Executive Crowley. Well, thank you, Dr. Weston, and, and thank you for this opportunity to, to, to be on the, the podcast and, and really address you all. Uh, but I want to start off by saying thank you to all of you all, because uh, you're on the front lines, and I, and I know you're working hard. And, and Dr. Weston talked about mental health. I mean, just taking a look at the data, comparing November of 2019 uh, to just last month, suicide attempts are up 38%. Uh, overdose calls are up 57%. And psychological calls are up 128%. And, and when you think about that, uh, between March and November, we're definitely seeing that there is a, a racial disparity, particularly when you have 39% of those calls coming from Black residents, and we and, and Black folks only make up uh, about 27% of the population. 9% coming from Hispanic and Latino uh, communities, 45% coming from uh, white residents, and 1% coming from uh, our, our Asian community. And so, as we continue to regularly get this data, it is critical for us in how we are responding to the needs of, of our residents. And it's also a key in, in how we enhance and provide context to partners, particularly at the state and federal level where we're making legislative acts. And, and, and I'm saying that because I know that you all are doing so much more with less and, and we need to do what we need to do and demonstrate to them the need for the resources uh, for our EMS providers. Because when we think about the people who are suffering right now, uh, these aren't just numbers, these are real people. But when you think about those people, you have to think about those who are responding uh, to these emergency calls who also need support as well. And, 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 and I think about that and we need to understand that this is a systemic uh, issue uh, that affects the first responders in a very unique way who are feeling the funding crunch more than anyone else uh, and, and feeling like they're being asked to do more with less, like I said. And so we need to take into account when we're working with our partners, this data, because it helps us tell a very important story uh, about the urgent needs and, and the help that we need right now. And, and the data that shows an increase in mental health and suicide compared to, to last year, it, it lets you know that we are responding accordingly, particularly within Marquette County. Uh, we've allocated about $1.6 million in CARES funding uh, to mental health services, uh, including for folks who, who are currently uninsured uh, that are feeling the, the impact of COVID-19. And we're making sure to partner, create partnerships, uh, particularly with the city of Milwaukee, we like to administer gun locks uh, to members of the public uh, because we've seen the rise uh, in this. And so 
there's a lot happening right now, uh, but I just want to say again, thank you, and you know, looking to to have a dialogue at some some capacity to to, to see not only what your needs are, uh, but also what we can do to, together uh, to really move forward. Thank you, Mr. County Executive. We appreciate your time uh, as well as your work and your your support and your words. Um, appreciate you being here. I will hand it back off to Jeff. Uh, thank you, Dr. Weston. Uh, thank you, County Executive Crowley. Uh, again, I'll express my gratitude for you taking time out of your busy day, I'm sure, uh, to join us on the podcast. Uh, it is definitely interesting to take a look at the numbers and see really how the current climate has affected mental health in the county, uh, including our residents, as well as our providers out there in the field. Uh, and it's inspiring to see that the county is definitely taking an interest in that in, as well uh, and helping to work towards resources and, and options for uh, our residents. Uh, also reminds me again, I'll send out a, a pitch. We have the newly created um, health equity subcommittee uh, within the county. Um, if there are providers out there that any of this information, especially some of the disparities within uh, ethnic ethnicities uh, in that data being reported, uh, if that resonated with you and you wanted to have the opportunity to have some impact and in, in your voice heard, uh, that health equity subcommittee is still looking for members. So uh, you're, you're welcome to reach out to anybody at the office and we can get you connected with that as well. For those of you out there that have been listening, uh, have been keeping up with the education that we've provided out over the last several months, you've known that we've really had a heavy mental health focus uh, on that education, uh, not only on disease processes and how that, what that looks like in our patient population, uh, but also de-escalation techniques, how to talk to our uh, patients that might be in crisis uh, effectively, and hopefully some uh, self-care techniques as well. Uh, the second special guest that we have with us today is Dr. Tony Thrasher, uh, who is, I will open the floor for, uh, let him go through his laundry list of... Uh... <laughs> well, we'll make it much less daunting than that, but thank you, thank you very, very much for having me. Um, I appreciate the opportunity to speak with you and your team. Uh, being the current focus on mental health, I, it was very nice to be asked. My name is Tony Thrasher. I am a psychiatrist here with Milwaukee County, and my specific work is as the medical director of the crisis services section for behavioral health. And when you think of the crisis services, what you're typically thinking of is not the inpatient component or an outpatient clinic, but basically everything else in between. So in other words, the part of BHD that most likely EMS is going to be interacting with in some component, either out here on our grounds or possibly at other medical emergency departments across the county. So I had three different concepts I kind of wanted to talk to you about today. And then hopefully at the end, maybe even have a little bit of time to talk about something more COVID specific. I, I think the three items that I wanted to talk about have been accentuated during COVID, but they are by no means specific only to that time. I think they are complications uh, that's working with mental health and people that are suffering from mental health issues and crisis that probably face EMS longitudinally. And since Milwaukee County EMS has such a strong educational component, I really appreciate you guys bringing me in. And so to that point, if there's anything that I say in the next you know, 15 or 20 minutes that really sparks your interest, 
that you want to know more about, please understand this is just the, the beginning conversation. I'm happy to meet with you or your teams and smaller groups to go over some of this. I know that you have plenty of excellent educators in your group, but if there's anything that I can bring to the table on some of these topics where I have some expertise, please let me know. So first up is a topic that I think uh, has taken a bit of a backseat because of the focus on the pandemic, but it's incredibly appropriate. And so many EMS professionals are really good at this, but it helps me to talk to you guys about it so then you can propagate this to other people out there that we work with. And that is those with psychiatric illness, those with mental health issues are much more likely to have medical complications than those without. This is a solid misnomer in the emergency department setting at times, um, namely the idea that something is all psychiatric or because the presenting symptoms may appear more psychiatric in nature that other medical issues are missed. The data is fairly clear on this. Myself and some colleagues I'll tell you about just published in the Wisconsin Medical Journal earlier this year on it, that actually those with chronic mental illnesses are more likely to have an adverse medical outcome than other individuals who do not have said mental illness. We know a lot about this, but we don't know a lot of rationale why. When you compare those with chronic mental illness, against people that do not have mental illness, they are more likely to die 10 to 15 years earlier, even when you kind of what we call correct for the issues with increased substance use, smoking, other social determinants of health, and poor adherence to some of their treatment domains. There are elements to this that make it very concerning. And while we should always be focusing on suicide and violence and other things that befall those with mental illness, uh, it would behoove us to all remember that the majority of people that die early from a mental illness is not due to those items, but due to other medical issues, diabetes, heart disease, et cetera, et cetera. And for any of you that work within the academic systems, this is very noticeable when you look at Medicare and Medicaid and you try to understand why certain individuals are higher utilizers of services than others. And you will very often find a comorbid psychiatric diagnosis. So please just help me kind of spread that word. And it's one reason why it's so important that even though somebody appearing to be in crisis, it appears to be predominantly a mental health issue and nothing else. We don't want to make this a dichotomy. We don't wanna make it that incredibly black and white because those that are dealing with mental illness often have more medical comorbidities than those without. Now, the second one is something that I don't know how much you guys get to see because you're so much at the front end of it. It's not very often that you get to see what the resolution is. Uh, it's kind of the, the hard part about being an EMS. And that is, what is the natural evolution of a psychiatric crisis? What does it look like? And the reason I bring this up is not just Milwaukee County focused, um, but my role as the co-chair of a statewide task force where we have paired psychiatrists and emergency medicine physicians to really work together at a legislative level and with lobbyists and with other invested stakeholders such as law enforcement and EMS to try to find ways to improve the patient experience, particularly those that are having a mental health crisis. And I can tell you a lot of it comes to understanding what that crisis is. And I think what most people are surprised by, the more they work in the world of psychiatric crisis, is how quickly some, not all, but some crises resolve. And the way, reason that's so important is twofold. One, I think it gives some degree of comfort and hope to those of us on the front lines, to those that work with this, that you can see somebody on a Tuesday, 
who's in a great deal of suffering, but with the proper treatment and the proper approaches is often better in 24 to 48 hours. That's a good, hopeful rationale for us to all comprehend. The other thing is a much more systemic component. I'm guessing you're not alone in hearing people talk about, wow, there's nowhere for people to go. And mind you, that has a lot of factual relevance to it. However, I don't like it when that conversation becomes, well, we just need more inpatient hospital beds because that's where people need to go. The truth is there is not great evidence that inpatient hospitalization solves many crises. Not saying that it's not necessary at times. Uh, there are many times where it's needed purely because somebody is having so much suffering and so many symptoms that they are of imminent dangerousness. And as such, that imminent dangerousness has driven them to need that type of locked environment. But to be fair, that is just a first step. And that in of itself may protect, but it doesn't really address the problem. The truth is the majority of any decent evidence base is on longitudinal outpatient or partial outpatient involvement. So I bring this up as kind of the second component to remember that most crises resolve quickly and the majority will not require an inpatient hospitalization. This is probably a tad more germane to those working in emergency departments full-time because they are often faced with a bevy of medical clearance concerns and other issues, all with the goal of, well, they were in crisis, so I have to find a place for them to go. A lot of the work that we're doing at the state level is to try to get some more sustainable change with some decent penetration and ability to have the bandwidth to make change where we can get people treated in a short period of time that does not have to involve hospital-based care. Uh, it doesn't mean it will remove EMS from the equation. I think you guys are a really important kind of time zero intercept for a lot of our clients, but I wanna get across this really important point that the majority of people that are suffering from a crisis can turn around without needing an inpatient stabilization. And in fact, if treated appropriately in the emergency department or other psychiatric crisis settings can very, very quickly turn around. So we've covered medical issues, we've covered the quick resolution of crises, not always requiring an inpatient hospitalization. Lastly is something that I think you guys are already working on. I just want to expand on it a bit, which is the idea of how do we handle the person in crisis? Uh, I, you mentioned already some of your de-escalation courses and other things that you're taking. Uh, I greatly appreciate your dedication to that. It is somewhat of a different world than you're used to. I, I'm an ex-paramedic myself, and so I remember thinking the way I handled stuff then is a bit different than, than how I may have handled it as a psychiatric physician. Uh, but I can say that there's a lot of good information there on de-escalation. Engagement. There's another part. Sometimes when we think of de-escalation, we're assuming that we are always working with aggressive or agitated individuals. But there's also something to the purpose of engagement. How do you involve people in care? How do you encourage people to seek care? Or how are you able to handle a situation at the site and then drive away even when the person doesn't want to engage in care? All of that's very important. There's a lot of different techniques that one can use. Um, there's also a lot of really interesting medication options, depending upon your medical direction and how your setup is made through your EMS system. There's a lot of ways that we can assist people. And when it comes to medications, what I like to stress is there is an excellent evidence base already out there. Uh, it's called Project Beta, B-E-T-A. 
Our national group put it out almost a decade ago now. Um, it's the most downloaded article in the Western Journal of Emergency Medicine. It has lots of concrete ways to, to kind of approach the entire concept of de-escalation and engagement. Both those things that are verbal versus those that are physical, um, some that are more ethereal versus some that are more purely medication-based. I think it's really important to get an idea on how medication can assist with de-escalation that doesn't have to be Haldol, Ativan, Benadryl, or perchance ketamine, which is the, the current uh, topic of choice that a lot of people like to discuss. So I mentioned our national group. I am president of the National Emergency Psychiatry Association, and we have a lot of good resources along this line if people have any interest in this. And kind of combining my second and my third topics, the idea of a quick resolution of a crisis and proper de-escalation. You may have also noticed there's been a lot of push from SAMHSA, the federal agency, and we're getting very close to a new mental health 911. Uh, now this is, I can say, that's about as much as I can say about it because the actual infrastructure is still being worked out at the federal level. But the idea is to have something other than 911, the number that's being proposed is 988. And having that number for individuals to call when in crisis, how would that number then route? How would that engage people in perhaps mental health uh, professionals, mental health emergency professionals, more so than, than having to go through law enforcement per se? Uh, there's a lot of steps in that, but I think it's a very exciting opportunity. And it really bookends um, with the Mr. Crowley's component and comments on funding and resources and all of the information that Milwaukee County has currently put behind this. So those are my, my big three take-homes. We're looking at the idea of more medical problems in the person in crisis. Please keep that in account as you're deciding kind of next destination and how handoff report is given. Also noting that a lot of these crises can resolve fairly quickly when approached in a proper fashion. And the end all result of every single one of these calls does not have to be find them a bed somewhere. Um, that's something we're very lucky in Milwaukee that we don't have to do that because we have a, a psychiatric ER and other options. I don't know if you benchmark with your peers across the state in the other 71 counties, but this is something that's frequently struggled with, uh, that almost every single crisis there's an interest in ending something in a hospitalization, which is a rate limiting issue at best and is a cluster at worst. And then lastly, the idea that when working with our patients in crisis, particularly those that are suffering from mental illness, there are all sorts of issues with engagement, de-escalation, and medication administration. There's a lot of good evidence base out there that it sounds like you're already doing a lot of investigation into, but if you need more assistance on that, please let us know. That is something where there is a lot to be learned. Every once in a while in the world of academics, you'll hear things like something can't be taught and I'm not a big fan of that phrase. I think many things can be taught if you find the right teacher and the right student. So we'll continue to look into that. And with the last couple minutes I have, I also wanted to kind of point out there to build off of Dr. Weston and, and the county executive, uh, these are complicated times. I'm not the first person to note this. And I think that frontline providers such as yourself are seeing that more and more. Um, it's been very complicated that while some systems uh, such as ours with Milwaukee County Crisis Services we have maintained all of our services. Nothing has, has changed or, or shut down per se. However, the same cannot be said for other areas of care across the county. Um, there are many private entities and other things that have limited their engagements or changed how they do business. Some of that has been for good rationale. Some of it may be based out of fear or other things. But I think we're working with a lot of patients 
whose one of their main reinforcing components was social engagement, whether that be with professionals or with friends and peers. And all of that is so drastically limited that you are now seeing a lot of that play itself out on the front lines. And I think it's also important that uh, for those of you uh, that come from large families, that we are also dealing with a lot of forced socialization and people that maybe don't do too well being around each other that are now forced to be around each other for long periods of time. And this can include things from the educational to the occupational realm. Either way, it's a complicated scenario and I appreciate the dedication that you guys are bringing to the table to really work with people and get them to those and the rest of us that are still providing care in that note. We just have to understand that what we're dealing with is a system that has been complicated by a lot of other areas changing how they're providing care. And then the last component about COVID is please look out for yourself. Um, the topic of burnout is real. Uh, it's a bit passe, you know, it kind of hit its peak of people talking about it two years ago, but it's never been more present than it is now. Um, please take care of yourself. Uh, there is no need to martyr. Um, altruism does not always lead to the best outcome. And so if you're hurting yourself and people are calling you heroes, which many of you are, the hard part is sometimes then it doesn't feel like you can reliably say, I need help because you've been given an image and an esteem that makes you feel like I can't show any weakness. The truth is, is that every aspect of who we are is being stressed by these engagements. And even those that are doing wonderful still need help and still need support. So please feel free to ask, talk to each other, maintain that sense of community. You know, one of the most dangerous components of burnout is when you feel that your work no longer has meaning. Um, there's a component of emotional exhaustion, which I think most of us have been through at some point in time. There's a part of feeling like there's too many mandates and complications to do your work well. So you start isolating from your team members. But the one that really gets to me is what I just alluded to, a sense of meaningfulness. You need that to really do your job well. And human beings can work through very difficult times if you really feel like your work is making a difference. And I guess that's my point, is I'm here to tell you your work is making a difference. I would say the work that we are doing as a group is making a difference. We just have a much longer way to go and more to give. And the only way we can give more is if we take care of ourselves and allow ourselves to have breaks when they are needed. So those are my, uh, my five uh, random kind of components here. Um, from my standpoint, I welcome um, any questions. If not, please uh, feel free to reach out to me at a later date if there's more of these topics that you want to go into greater detail on. I really appreciate the time and I appreciate your efforts. Thank you. Thanks, Dr. Thatcher. I do have one in the chat uh, that came to me uh, as well as one from myself. Uh, just to follow up on your kind of last statements about the self-care and awareness of your colleagues. Uh, do you have uh, resources that you could share at least audibly uh, for maybe any of our providers listening that might you know, feel the need for either an acute care or chronic care or anything that our, you know, that the patients that they're dealing with out in the field could utilize as a resource. Yeah, I'd say there's a, there's a bunch of different options. When you get into resources, the easiest thing is always the 24 seven crisis options, which I'm sure you guys are aware of. We, we do have a 24 seven crisis line. It is 414 257-7222. That's 414-257-7222. Uh, that can be utilized not just for actual crises, but for resources, for kind of saying, this is my scenario. I'm calling on behalf of such and such. What is there out there for me? And they may not have the exact resource, but they can usually point you in the right direction. 
whether that's going to be through your insurance panel or a certain health system where you get the rest of your care. There are a lot of options out there for that. I would then carve out a separate answer uh, speaking to you as healthcare professionals and you as frontline individuals. I think you can do the same thing and there are resources out there. The problem is many healthcare professionals are resistant, <coughs> pardon me, to seek out care when they themselves work in the field. I think there's some really nice, I don't have the website memorized by heart, but I can at least give you the information to Google it. Um, on the American Psychiatric Association, that's APA, American Psychiatric Association's homepage, they, all you have to do is Google the word burnout in their search section, and they have an entire free kind of area that is nothing but burnout literature, resources, scales, um, articles that you can talk about amongst yourselves, like as a journal club if you wanted to. Uh, it's all anonymous. None of it is being captured for research. It's purely just a free public service. Uh, and we've had that running for some time. So if you go to the American Psychiatric Association's main website and then search for the word burnout, you will get a bevy of things that I think as a healthcare professional are kind of nice because they even have little tests you can take. You know, where are you on? There are some well-evidenced uh, burnout scales uh, that you can check on. It then directs to certain different ways and techniques you can do at home versus more formalized gatherings. You know, people learn in different ways. Some people like to do it on their own. Some people do better in uh, group mechanisms. And I think there's a lot of information on that page for both. Terrific. Thank you. Uh, any resources I think would be great, especially for those that, you know, as you said, you kind of get that hero mentality uh, and that unwillingness to show any weakness out there. It's nice to have a resource, maybe just at home on your own time, you can go and research and um, seek a little meditative self-care. Yeah. And, and, and once again, I also, I'm happy to offer up, um, I know that sometimes uh, you don't think it's hard to think of the best questions until it's kind of it's germinated and, and settled there for a while. Um, I have a county email address. It's tony.thrasher at milwaukeecountywi.gov. And if people have specific cases they kind of want to run, or if you want to kind of send them through Dr. Weston or other medical leadership, I'd be happy to try to help people get them to the right place on a case-by-case -case basis or just talk about this further. I really think part of this is the idea of community which in EMS is a very strong concept. It's actually, in all of these frontline services, it's a very strong concept. But maintaining part of that community, and sometimes that means a good thing, that you'll talk because you have such good teammates and so many good people around you. At the same time, that can scare you away from asking for help because these are people that they're putting their life in your hands and vice versa. And once again, you don't want to project any type of weakness. Sometimes you need to go outside of your community to kind of have some of these conversations. So uh, I'd be happy to try to help point people in the right way, if at all possible. Terrific. Thank you. Yeah. And anybody, again, if you, if you missed that email or you wanted to reach out through our EMS education email, uh, I will certainly send along any communication to Dr. Thrasher uh, that comes my way as well. Uh, the other question that I have so far uh, is going back to kind of a provider approach to mental health in the field. Uh, and they ask, uh, what approach has worked best for you when trying to get a patient having a crisis to begin to trust you as a mm. pre-hospital provider? Great question. And like you said, it's an important first question because if you don't have that, the, the rest is moot. Um, you can have all the evidence base and, and intelligence and planning and, and the best intentions, but if you don't have trust, it's very difficult. I think the hardest part with trusting is that most of us in the frontline world are fairly, um, 
paternalistic and maternalistic. We like to go in and help people. We like to, when we know what's best for somebody, we want to tell them about it. We want to say, hey, recognize that. I can make you feel better. Your suffering can, can decrease. The hard part is not everybody wants to hear that right away. Um, it's a big problem with doctors. I'm sure you're all surprised by this, um, that the physician ego can sometimes get in the way of this, is that we often want to come in and tell people what's best for them, as opposed to asking what they need. And this is kind of a central tenet of many philosophies, um, Buddhism, including, uh, as well as certain medical tenets, such as psychological first aid, is the idea of meeting the person with what they need first. So even though maybe you're on the scene and it's quite clear from looking at the scene that this person needs to have some sort of crisis intervention, if they agree to it, they may end up even being chaptered. Perhaps they're um, sitting in the corner of a bathroom with some pills nearby and you're a little bit nervous about whether somebody was contemplating an overdose or maybe even did do an overdose. It's very natural for us to reach into task mode. I need to do this, this, and this. If you can have even two to five minutes to really start with introductions, and how can I help you right now? Um, it's been very amazing to me how often simply taking the focus off of what I want to tell them, even though it's very well-intentioned and all for their benefit, but simply asking them, what do you need right now? And it's very surprising how often things like a blanket, a glass of water, uh, the ability to make a phone call, all of those things, very, very minor asks, often lead to the patient trusting you because we got what they needed out of the way first. And then all of a sudden, now you are seen as a trusted subject matter expert, and we can start delving into my outline of conditions. Um, there's an old saying, I think I'm going to mess this up. Um, I'm going to mess it up, but it was along the lines of, uh, in order to, to be listened to, you know, you must first do the hearing. Um, and that's an important part of this. And I think it's complicated because very often we come into it seeing our actions. Our actions are altruistic. They are for the good of the patient. But sometimes for the patient to trust you, they just have to hear first, how can I help you right now? And it may be nothing medical whatsoever. It may be sitting there and chatting. It may be answering a question about how did you guys even get here? Who called you? Anything you can do to kind of answer their first two or three questions and their first two or three requests before pivoting to then, hey, now that I've, you know, now that we've chatted a bit, I really want to talk about that cut on your wrist. And I want to talk about the neighbors that called us because they were worried about how you were behaving earlier. Those are the type of approaches that I have found to be most beneficial. And I think you can accomplish them in a pre-hospital setting. Thanks. Yeah, I think that takes a bit of the um, go, go, go mentality out of EMS, um, where, you know, my goal is to, I'm, I'm going to get you, I'm going to treat you, I'm going to get you in the ambulance and go. And just trying to get everybody to slow down, assess, just talk and hang out. Um, I think and, I, and I would add that's hard because I want you to do it. I think it's the best interest, but I fully acknowledge it's a complication, right? Because both pre-hospital and emergency departments are measured by speed. You know, <laughs> we're, we're continually on people for time to calls, time from a certain call to the door, time from the door to certain aspects. Whenever I work with emergency departments, I think that's always a complicated factor. Throughput is such a big part of quality statistics. And I'm not suggesting it shouldn't be. It's just that these cases will often be outliers. And if you can spend that 15 minutes you spend just kind of being with the patient, not forcing things, getting to know them, doing what they need, all of a sudden makes the rest of your work a lot easier. I just fully acknowledge it can be a hard thing to accomplish when you've got other things in the back of your mind or you have other tasks that are pending. Terrific. Uh, I will open the floor if anybody else has any other questions for Dr. Thrasher. 
and then briefly not seeing any mute symbols getting turned off. I think we've hit a lot of good topics in a fairly brief amount of time. I'm sure if I gave you all day, you could talk all day for us on a plethora of different topics. Happy to return at any time if it fits your guys' needs. I greatly appreciate you taking time out of the day to join us. Uh, thanks to Dr. Weston and everybody else who attended. Uh, a thanks out to the county executive and his office for taking the time out of their day to join us as well uh, and showing that they're really taking an interest in mental health in the county and trying to work towards uh, betterment there as well. So uh, with that, once again, thank you to everybody that joined us. Thank you to everybody who's listening. Have a wonderful holiday season and stay safe.